Hey, everyone. Welcome to What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code King's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast weekly at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Code King's YouTube channel. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, and now on RadIndieMedia.com. Today's episode, Deconstructing the September 4 plebiscite in Chile. I want to introduce all of you to our two guests and then give you a brief background before we get into our analysis of what happened in, in Chile on Sunday the 4th. So first, I'd like all of you to meet Patricio Zamorano. He is the co-director of the Council on Hemispheric Affairs. The Council on Hemispheric Affairs, also known as COHA, C-O-H-A, is a broadcast partner of, of this program. So we're really happy to have um, Patricio join us as a guest, Chilean-born guest who lives in Washington, D.C., but also as a co-director of one of our uh, broadcast partners. Patricio did vote at the Chilean Embassy on, Wednesday, on, uh, on Sunday. Um, and he um, is also an election observer Sunday the 4th. And then joining us live from Chile this evening is Javier Amanzi, and she is an activist with Coordinadora Feminista 8M, an English coordinator femini feminismo um, 8M. So welcome both of you. What an honor to have you both joining us in conversation today. I'm really, um, I'm really excited about what we're going to kind of uh, deconstruct for our audience. Let me give the audience a brief uh, background. On Sunday, September 4, uh, Chileans overwhelmingly voted against a proposed new constitution, rejecting what would have been one of the world's most progressive charters. While nearly 80% of Chileans voted to draft a new constitution in 2020, nearly 62% of voters rejected the new text with 99.7% uh, of the ballot boxes counted. And I think that was as of uh, yesterday. Uh, President Gabriel Boric, whose government is largely tied to the new text, said cabinet changes were coming and the government would work to draft another constitution. The proposed text that voters rejected was a response to widespread violent protests that gripped the nation in late 2019. And some of you may remember Patricio uh, joined us in 2019 um, to talk about what was happening on the ground in Chile, what those, that na those national protests were about. And I will share with all of you the link just as, so you can take a look at that as a reminder. Gives you some good background as to what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, so those were the uh, late 2019, excuse me, which focused on social rights, the environment, gender parity, and indigenous rights a sharp shift from what from uh, the prior constitution's market-friendly um, context that was drafted during the Pinochet dictatorship. So Javiera and Patricio, let's, let's talk about what happened on Sunday and, and uh, what was in the constitution that people rejected, why they rejected it, and also what was the environment? I guess that's my, maybe that's even the, the bigger um, comment we should open with the, the, the media environment and the political and social environment that uh, created uh, the failure of this con new constitution to pass. 
who wants to jump in? <laughs> I think I think definitely Javiera should be the first one because she was there uh, in Chile. So please, Javiera, go ahead. Yes. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it is I must say very difficult to talk from Chile these days. Um, being part of a cycle of social mobilizations that, of course, has inspired the world and most uh, uh, progressive grassroots and the left, I guess, uh, from other places. So, of course, it's our responsibility to think, um, to really think what just happened in Chile. Because, of course, this was not, um, we didn't expect uh, the, this result, not only because we lost in terms of that uh, between the rejection and the approval, but mainly because of the extent of these results. Um, well, in the first place, I would like to say that for us, it's very important to try to question now uh, what happened, okay? The rejection won in all the regions of our country, in the vast majority of them by more than 60%. The approval won only in eight districts um, in the regions of Valparaiso and Santiago. Um, so we must ask now, uh, what did the people actually reject in this election? What did the people reject when they voted rejection? What was this election about? What was at stake? And the answer is not weak. It will require taking a lot of and capturing the sensibility of sectors that had never expressed themselves in the vote. Since 2012 in Chile, we have voluntary vote. This is the first time since then that we had a mandatory vote. Which changes, which changes of course, everything. And, um, and how uh, the behavior, the electoral behavior of our society. Um, we uh, were part of the, um, command of the team of social movements uh, for the campaign of the approval. And the very same day, the night of the 1st of, this, of September, we made a first declaration where we said that this was an electoral defeat, but not the defeat of a project. Um, not the defeat of what it was at stake in this very moment, which is of course the um, destiny of a cycle of mobilizations that started the, in October of 2019, and that today we had, as a result, this uh, constituent process. Um, for us, it's very important to understand this because, of course, the right, the far right, that is now being very, um, that, that tries to interpret this result as the idea that Chile is a conservative country, or as the idea that this is the defeat of a project that the people knew the content of this uh, draft of a new constitution. That's not real. So it's very important to say in the first place that what is at stake in this election is a new form that was first an election that had new rules because for the first time more than 10 years, people went to vote because it was a mandatory vote. In the second place, it's important to say that because of that 85% of the Chilean people who could vote voted, which is of the first, which is um, the election with the most popular participation in the history of Chile. This is very important, of course. In the third place, uh, 
it is important to say too that um, people did not know the content of this new constitution. People did not vote with information. This was not an election that people could vote with all the information needed. And in the first place, we must talk about the absolute inequality of the form of this election, of how we did the campaign in this election, and the, and the important role of social media and social networks in this uh, process. Of course, in the States, you know a lot about this, and we have to talk about this because it's important to understand contemporary democracies and what happened in Chile has a lot to do with the, uh, um, the absolute control in Chile of the social media and the uh, social networks. Wow, I find um, this is fascinating to me. And maybe I guess the thing that jumps out the most is, um, well, you mentioned new rules, 85% voted, it was mandatory voting. Um, why, how do we explain voting without full information? Was that tied with the social media dissemination or how, how did that happen? I can start answering that. Maybe Patricia also has something uh, because from his experience. But in a very, I must say first that um, <clears throat> this is a process that we have a little, very little time to write a new constitution. Actually, it's one of the most, um, the, one of the shortest process in the history of constituent processes in the world because we had just one year. And in the second place, um, in a country that doesn't have a lot of civic or political education, actually, that's one of the of the heritage of uh, the dictatorship in Chile. And so that's very important as well. But I would say that <clears throat> the, um, the role of fake news, and we've been, and that's a lot of something that has been during these days being um, put to the front in the analysis. And this idea that the people voted thinking that they were voting for something, thinking that they were voting against, the idea that their houses would be, uh, that um, they would lose their houses. That was a very widespread idea in, in the population. The idea that there will, was going to be different forms of justice, that indigenous people would have privileges. The idea that there was that people would um, could abort uh, nine with nine months. Uh, the idea that um, that they will lose the that that the the like national symbols were going to be changed, that the flag was going to change, that etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Those are some of the main issues. Just like that, some of the main reasons of why people voted rejection, none of them were part of the content of the new constitution. And they were highly widespread throughout social media and throughout social networks, throughout WhatsApp, throughout Facebook, throughout Instagram, throughout TikTok, throughout YouTube. So we must talk about this because it's very similar to what happened in the referendum in Colombia, to what happened possibly in the Brexit to what 
has happened uh, in Brazil with the first election of Bolsonaro, um, and of course with Trump. So this is just another example of the extent of the uh, intervention of this uh, in, in democracies. Patricio, did you, what was your sense um, being in Washington DC on Sunday the 4th? Sure, sure. Thank you so much, Terry, for the opportunity always. Um, sure, I mean, I have an, uh, a view that is inspired by studying the historic process of Chile for a long time from a political science point of view and also my experience here in Washington DC and everything that transpired there in Chile for the last three or four years. Um, of course, I haven't been there personally, but I, uh, I've been in, in the country several times, but not living there I, day by day, which is a different approach for sure. Uh, what I can tell you though, yes, in, in fact, the media concentration is in Chile is critical. We, we have uh, a few owners of most of the media and they tend to be conservative. There's no doubt that, uh, uh, because there were imperfections. We had imperfections in the way that the Constitutional Assembly uh, work. It's true, as Javier is saying, that it's really, it was very aggressive to write a complex text in, in less than a year. That, that was challenging. That was a mistake. We know that for sure. The, uh, at the end of the process, uh, the text was delivered in a rush. We have a huge text, 388 articles. 50,000 words, very difficult to uh, defend as an entire body of, of knowledge, right? 50,000 words, how you defend that every single aspect. Uh, the National Assembly, the Constitutional Assembly tried to do a lot, tried to put everything on that plate. Um, uh, the contradictions, uh, inside the National Assembly, the Constitutional Assembly were exploited, exploited heavily by the right media uh, 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 conglomerate. There's no doubt about that. There were contradictions. There were discussions. There were even ridiculous things. We have to admit that. That the, the unfortunately, we had certain characters within the Constitutional Assembly that that were just just silly, funny. Uh, anecdotes of people voting from, from a shower, things that it doesn't matter. But when you have a polarized society like Chile, and when you have huge interest, very interesting in boycotting any progress, of course, you are going to use all these little, little stupid details to create a sense of failure. So uh, if you see the polls, and the polls are in this time. I think they they were very close to the final to the final results. If you analyze the polls and surveys before the referendum, you will notice that people were uh, in opposition of the work of the of, of the of the constitutional assembly without knowing the actual text. They, they, they didn't they didn't even know the the actual the actual product of a year of work, and they were opposed. Six to one, uh, sixty percent to three percent. Basically, sixty percent approving the work, disapproving the work, and only thirty percent approving it. Um, so, uh, and the other thing also is the fact that uh, we don't have to get confused. This is a result against a whole uh, body of text, but it's not against 
most of the most of the content because eight out of ten people in Chile want a new constitution. They don't like the dictatorship constitution. They want a new constitution. So unfortunately, this isolated factor created creating this sense of failure. And I have to say, sadly, I have to be very honest in the analysis because it is true that there is some conservative uh, vibe in Chile uh, in the fact that one of the major oppositions measured by the polls and confirmed by the election is that people got very, very afraid of the indigenous uh, autonomy. They didn't like the concept of, of uh, plural national uh, identity. Uh, they didn't like it. Chileans didn't like it. Uh, they, they uh, even though those rights don't affect them. I mean, when you have rights for communities, when you have human rights, civil rights that are going to help our fellow community, we progressive people believe on those rights, right? If those rights are going to help the, uh, uh, especially a minority, we celebrate that. If gay people want to get married, we celebrate that right. Conservative people don't celebrate that right. They don't believe that is correct, even though a, a gay marriage or same-sex marriage doesn't affect them. The same thing with indigenous population in our countries that have been affected strongly by the state, uh, uh, with violence from the state, uh, with illegal tools, uh, a lot of issues. And then the Chilean society, 60% didn't agree with that. They didn't want the indigenous people to, to have such autonomy because in fact, a new uh, justice system was going to be created uh, just for them, which was awesome because they need that. But then for the new constitution, I'm sure that that's going to be one of the factors that uh, the new writers of the new constitution are going to consider, unfortunately. And Javier is totally right. In opposing certain specific little things, we are affecting so many strong rights for women, for, uh, for so many things. So hopefully we will, we will learn from this process. So this kind of, you know, your comment about um, basically negating a plurinational uh, country is, you know, Javier, you Javier, you mentioned that as well. And I, I mean, I guess what we could say, it's racism in a sense, fear, race, fear based out of racism. So how much does, does some of the um, population vote Javier, you mentioned the social media, and clearly the the uh, the no vote was controlling the narrative through social media. And there is something for all of us on the uh, left of center to learn about that, and if, in all organizations that we work with, and how to up that game, the narr the narration that we project. But how much? When I guess this is a question really for both of you. How much of the rejection was based on uh, domestic narrative and or fear of what is happening in some of the neighboring countries. Perceived fear. I mean, you say plurinational, clearly I'm thinking Bolivia and, uh, and uh, 
and and then Colombia also was also interesting how you know their peace referendum went. How much of this is really? Um, it's almost like the constitution maybe is ahead of where the country is culturally. People want certain things, but not. It's going to take like an evolution to get there. And uh, I'm reading in the media that the, the president's going to try again with with uh, when the complexion of Congress changes and how um, how realistic is that? Yes, I would like to say some well, a lot of things first. Um, it's a lot more complex, in my opinion, just to talk about uh, um, an idea of the of how conservative the society in Chile is and how racist it is. But of course, these are two major concerns. We must understand that Chile, the idea of a neoliberal subjectivity is a very wide, it's absolutely hegemonic in Chile. Uh, and that, of course, has a lot to do with um, uh, the heritage of the dictatorship and how that has been deepened throughout these more than 30 years um, of transition. But also, um, it's important because, uh, for instance, in some of the districts with a major part, uh, population of indigenous people, of Mapuche people, they voted rejection. Like in most, actually, the, 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 some of the um, regions of the country with the most percentage of rejection was actually where there is a major population of indigenous people. So what one would say, what happened here? Yes. And uh, it's more complex than just talking about um, uh, internalized racism. But of course, there's also part of that. But it's not only that. Um, this election, we must say uh, uh, too, that this idea, it's very difficult to analyze this election, trying to compare it with the, the elections before. Why? Because um, to be honest, this is the one of a very important facts, uh, the approval didn't change a lot, okay? From the, the um, total amount of people that voted approval in the first referendum to start the constituent process, this 80% of people didn't change as much towards the, the total amount of people in this uh, last election. It changed. It changed one million per people. This is one million people less in the approval of the first referendum than the approval of this late referendum. But the rejection, instead, they grew six million people, six. And this is mainly people that had not voted before, okay? And this is mainly people of the poorest uh, sectors of our, uh, uh, of our country. So then these people were the ones that had only access to the process throughout mainly social media and mainly uh, social networks. And this is people that had not voted since 2012, probably. This is people for whom this idea of a mandatory vote, of course, had an impact in their electoral behavior. And of course, uh, they reacted to, an, um, to this vote in, in different, um, in different, uh, with different motives. 
You see, so we have to understand what was there. Was it actually against plurinationality? Definitely, there's a part of that. See, but was it all uh, because of them? There's also people who voted against the government because they thought that constituent process and government were the same, so they were voting against the government. There are also others who voted against the system. So then rejection was just a vote against politics, against this idea of, uh, of democracy. There was also a vote, a very conservative vote, of course, that's actually the same that voted for caste in the last election. But that's just part of it. So it's a very diverse and um, heterogeneous sector of people, the one who voted rejection. So it's very important to understand. And yes, I would must say that there's a part of it that is a very, I, I would say, um, consolidated conservative vote, definitely. And this is just a part of it. There's also a very, um, uh, part of it was part uh, uh, people who voted with not, with not enough information and just reacting to what was in the media, which is actually a very racist approach to the content of the, of the constitution, where this idea of plurinationality was um, presented as this idea of the division of the country, which was never it. And there's also a part of these vote, voters who were probably enthusiastic about the idea of a new constitution, but, but they were not enthusiastic about the content of this case. I would say that's actually, to be honest, a very, uh, the smallest margin of voters, this idea of the centrist, okay? Um, so then I'm just saying, it's a very interesting and very complex idea of how to understand this, but it's important to say that the 3.8, so that the 38% of people who voted uh, approval this time is actually very similar to the ones who voted for Boric and the ones who voted for the approval in the sector. That has not changed as much as it seems just by seeing the percentages. Wow, I mean, I mean this is really fascinating. I guess, can, can we conclude that the Chilean population still wants a new constitution? That, that is true, yes. People still want a new constitution and uh, you know, I will say on a very personal level, when I heard the 388 sections, chapters, and 50,000 words, this is a huge constitution. And I think here in the United States, in my own country, a lot of people, regardless of their political, uh, you know, philosophy would say, wow, that's a huge, that's a huge document that's going to control every aspect of my life. And just the size of it, that it's like almost too much, too much in it. Is that is that a fair thing to say that people may have rejected rejected that that it was maybe tried to maybe go too far or I don't want to say too far because that infers something different. But 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 but, but to to cover too much, yes, yes. Yeah, all at once. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, we have to remember also, I think, Terry, in the analysis, we had a huge need in Chile a huge need, a historic need for, um, for restoration of humanity, right? Uh, the life in Chile is hard. It's uh, for 20 years more, 
20 years after the dictatorship, but during the dictatorship, we add that almost 30 to 40 years of neoliberal policies that were hard on people. A lot of poverty, uh, Chile is, is top 10 uh, in, in the world in terms of, in terms of inequality. Uh, rich people in Chile are very rich, poor people are very poor. We, we have extremes. Uh, the, um, the lack of security uh, for work, the lack of security for health, because the health was health system was privatized by the dictatorship, the educational system was privatized by the dictatorship, the pension system was privatized by the dictatorship. So there's so many things that make life in Chile so hard. So uh, you can understand then the uh, deputies who were in charge of writing this constitution in a desperate effort to include everything to solve the Chilean issue. And the Chilean issue is complex, it's deep, is uh, the interest of the big uh, financial actors is, is incredible. They have so much money and the media control. So uh, yeah, we had all that, all that that Javier was actually explaining on top of the difficulty of trying to transfer the message, especially to, uh, it, it was very interesting what Javier just said that uh, based on the data, the 6 million new votes uh, yes, I mean, mathematically, a big percentage of those were uh, working families, uh, working uh, workers, um, low-income workers, uh, that actually were going to be very benefited by this constitution, because this constitution uh, returns the obligation of the state to be in charge of health, to provide education for, for everyone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so rights for women rights for uh, for so many sectors of the country that don't have a voice so it is a good content it is good content but in fact there was a failure in transferring that message in a very successful and positive way uh, it was very negative it was always negative for six months it was always negative unfortunately and and the positive aspect of everything that the new constitution entitles was was really destroyed like a six months ago there's no doubt about that. Well, it's it's disappointing. I mean, it's disappointing to a lot of us, you know, <laughs> in the hemisphere. We were so hopeful to see, you know, that Pinochet, that neoliberal constitution just completely go away. And it's got to be even more disappointing, um, you know, for those of you who are citizens of Chile. What What's next? What's the, what's the next step that the president's going to have? Uh, a new Congress, or not a fully new, but the complexion of Congress is getting ready to change, presumably with with more members that are supportive of him and the Constitution. Does the does a this goes into a redraft now? Correct. It doesn't go away. It's not like over and done with, which I think some people believe outside of Chile. It goes and it gets rewritten. Is that correct, Javier? And we and you try again. Well, it's a very open um, scenario in this uh, precise moment. I would like to say about uh, what you asked before, that uh, it's a very interesting idea, this of the length or of what of, of the content, of what it should talk about our new constitution. There are these like mainly these two theses, this idea that a constitution should uh, be uh, minimal, 
Yes, it's a very liberal idea of a constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah. And there were others among them ourselves that thought that this constitution, of course, had to answer and to be a respond um, to uh, not only to social uh, demands, but to the transformation of uh, uh, institutional uh, of the institutionality in Chile, precisely to uh, open um, a possible change of the structures of neoliberal uh, of new neoliberalism in Chile. Um, because as you must know, the constitution of 1980 is precisely written to respond to the need of the uh, neoliberal shock, the Chicago Boys uh, instruction in Chile. Yes. So um, I would, I must say, and um, I reaffirm what was saying Patricio, that this was a content, and of course it's been known as a very progressive draft, and of course it was. And it talked about a lot of things, and it had mainly three main concerns. It was to deepen democracy, to build new uh, tools for a more open democracy. It also, in terms of social rights, uh, it had uh, talked about a lot of what today it's been, uh, our experience is of the absolute privatization of social rights. And uh, it also had a major um, breakthrough in terms of the feminist, env environmental, and indigenous uh, agenda of change. So for us as feminists, um, we recognize in this content our, in a way, uh, a program uh, to, for us for the future. And we will fight precisely because we know that this content uh, is, has been a lot, has at least this, the millions of people who voted for it but not only that, it was a very important process of social and political uh, articulation of a possible alternative that we constructed throughout this year. Uh, so that's very important in terms of what we're going to push in the future, in this, and actually in this possible future uh, constituent process. In this very moment, the, the, we must say that the right um, made a campaign where they uh, actually told people, told the population of Chile that they were going to push another uh, constituent process. That was what they said in their campaign. They said, let's do another one, a better one, one that actually uh, responds to your needs. And they talked like that because they knew that there was this main, uh, this widespread idea, this uh, common sense idea today that we need a new constitution. So instead of saying we don't need one, they said we need another one, not this one. Uh, but today, we've seen how the right part, uh, the right wing parties, have uh, hesitated on this idea, and they are now saying that they won't um, necessarily uh, be part of this process. So then we are seeing, like, in a very uh, fast an accelerated mom, uh, moment of decisions, the, nego the negotiations between these different parties, and there's no uh, actual, um, there's no definite response, a definite answer to this question. Uh, we hope, of course we hope, that we are going to have another constituent process, but to be honest, it's a very difficult, um, it's very difficult that this is going to be real. 
because today we're seeing not only the the right the far right that has uh, today a very uh, they're, they're trying to use this moment as their moment and they're saying that they're not going to um join any process but also the the, the right the most centrist right that it has their own doubts about it so <clears throat> it's very uncertain if we are actually going to have and there's even though the government and the president said they that we should and of course the left and centrist parties are saying that we should we don't necessarily have the amount of votes in the congress to actually put that into action yes it just to just to complement that um in what what Javier said uh none of the the right and the and the center left uh, none of those sectors have enough votes to impose anything so uh and i think the society right now in chile are is a little exhausted on the process remember we have a entry referendum first do you want a new constitution that was won 80 percent or 79 percent approval for a new constitution then we had to elect the constitutional assembly that was a whole process very complex to elect those 154 deputies that took a lot of energy a lot of political capital from a lot of people and sectors and and and, and political parties a lot of synergy was was lost there and now uh, we have a situation and then we have a new a new referendum again the situation in the country we we have to get to contextualize it Boris is not in the best shape possible. We have a huge inflation, exactly like here, although in the US is improving, but Chile is still uh, under the influence of COVID and all those, those issues. We have a security issue in Chile as well, unfortunately. That's another factor that could explain some of the votes, Javiera, of the 6 million uh, working families suffering the criminality, although in Chile it's always about perception because the actual numbers are not that bad if you compare Chile with Colombia or with Brazil, but still the perception of Chile in terms of insecurity is very is overstated all the time. It's not underestimated, it's the opposite. People believe that the situation is horrible. So, and the constitution had some new roles for, for security forces eliminated certain rights of the state to uh, exercise uh, uh, aggressive uh, measurements against the population in cases of emergency. Some of those previous rights of the states were diminished. So uh, I can imagine part of the population say, hey, this new constitution is gonna make Chile unsafe, right? I can totally understand that. And the right exploded that big time. So the situation as Javiera is describing it is very close. We have no idea. Uh, Boris is trying to negotiate right now immediately. They are saying that uh, by this week, they were saying, hey, by September 11, maybe we are going to come out with a solution. There's a, so, it's a scenario that maybe, again, a group of experts will write the new constitution. That's another possibility. Another possibility is Congress can try to write the constitution. The problem with the uh, temporary law that authorized this whole thing Nobody really thought that the new constitution was going to be rejected. So we don't have a plan B 
uh, in terms of the institutional framework of the country. And that's bad. No, nobody expected this like this, because of course you have eight out of nine Chileans want a new constitution. And a lot of, a lot of people like, like me thought, well, it's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. And nobody wants the dictatorship constitution to prevail. Well, we were wrong. We were wrong. Simple as that. And uh, so that's, this, this is the flavor of democracy as well, uh, unfortunately, right? It hurts. It hurts for humanity, for uh, humanism, for human rights. It hurts. But uh, remember that the peace accord was rejected in Colombia the first time as well, and that was horrible. But then the country was capable of rebuilding the energy and relaunch a process that was at the end, not perfect, but better. So uh, in this case, we need to hear these results carefully. And the new people, whoever it is who is gonna write this new constitution, of course, it's gonna be a different one. Hopefully, uh, because the values are there, people want a better environment, people want more rights, people want a, a state-sponsored health system, people want a state-sponsored ed education, People are tired of the pension, of the pension uh, structure. So I cannot imagine a new constitution without doing that because even the right winners, they know that if they don't do this, they don't fix this, the streets are gonna be violent again and business will be affected and they don't want their pockets to be affected. So they don't want more violence in, in the streets. So that's the hope that uh, at the end of the day, we need a new constitution. Well, the majority of the population initially did want a new popu a new constitution. You know, I think for me personally, listening to both of you um, in this conversation, my biggest takeaway, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Javiera, you were maybe a little more overt about it, but both of you implied it. This is really a learning process. I mean, a real, real, and I think this is important for all of us who are activists and work in politics and and social movements, et cetera. You know, like you said, Patricia, you really expected the outcome. You know, there were such, such high hopes that the outcome was gonna be completely different than what it was on Sunday. And yet it is really an opportunity to look at, uh, and Javier, you are great at the four points you mentioned opening the program. The real, you know, what do we do wrong? What do we need to do better? But also looking, you know, at, at the people. What do the people really want? And how do you articulate that to make sure uh, their success next time around? I mean, it's a real learning process. And, and I, I mean, it's disappointing, but it's also okay. It's, it's also okay to, uh, to learn what needs about, I guess in general, I would say what, about ourselves in any of the work that we do, but for Chile, there's a there's a lot that um, maybe some some hoped was had already the country had already evolved and maybe quite hasn't yet. Or and the narrative, mm -hmm. the narrative, the educational process and the media narrative, particularly the social media, that's huge. It's huge everywhere, everywhere across the planet right now. And the biggest, you know, my biggest comment would be looking at the United States and what's happening, you know, in Europe right now between Russia and Ukraine, is it such a one, 
one narrative only and, and the impact that that has on a, on a nation of people. So how should we close? Let's close on a hopeful note, please. <laughs> what, what's next? What, do you, what, what can we do as activists supporting the Chilean people and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, promoting a non-neoliberal model or at least a softer form of capitalism as we evolve to something more progressive? What can we do as activists? What would you like to see us do, Javier? Yes, um, I'd say that this is, of course, a moment where we must have an accurate analysis of what had just happened. It's important because if not, we're going to do um, fast uh, answers to something that is actually, just as Patricia said, we didn't expect. So we, it's hard because it's difficult to see the results. It's very hard to see and to recognize that most of the people that voted rejection are actually the people with the less uh, incomes in our, in our country, are working class people who were never encouraged to vote throughout the last uh, elections. And then when they decided to, they didn't decide to go, they were forced to go and when they do, this is how they respond to it. So for us, if we are from a, from a social movement, as a feminist, as a leftist activist, of course, it's a very important thing to question ourselves. What is our capacity to uh, construct majorities, social majorities, and that our alternatives, our projects respond to the need and, and make sense to the working class. And that's, I guess, the main question we have to do to ourselves. But, of, but, but at the same time, I must say, we cannot be naive or ingenious about, or we cannot try to only this, in, you know, this is a very critical idea of our, of the extent of our politics and the extent of uh, how we are actually uh, making an impact. But at the same time, we must see the effect, and this is important, I guess, for all, this, for all the democracies and the, and the next uh, elections throughout the world, I'm thinking, of course, of Brazil, um, how we understand the impact of the control of social media and how we con uh, the impact of the narratives, of these hegemonic narratives, and how we understand the impact of uh, social networks in our daily basis, um, debates, and how the communication of everything that we're, of what we're trying to transform and has to had a very massive uh, communication, com communica um, politics. How, how we understand that? The, because if not, we're going to make very progressive and transformative projects that have no capacity to make a mass uh, transformation or, or make actually the majorities we need to make them happen. So I'm thinking that it's a very important uh, thing to understand, I guess, for the uh, contemporary democracies throughout the world. Uh, and at the same time, it's a very difficult and critical moment to do so because we are, of course, living in a global crisis and the recession after the pandemic. And in a moment then that, of course, the far right and fascist movement to be very accurate and I'm going to uh, call it like that. They're doing, uh, and they're actually 
getting bigger and bigger throughout these same uh, places. So then I would just say we must all analyze and try to understand and try to to make new tools and make and and have a communicative communicational politics uh, if we want to win the next time. Patricio, any closing comments? Sure. Um, yes, I think what we can do, you know, everybody, everybody that is outside of Chile and also inside Chile, is just to understand these results as a very a particular, specific, partial result about a moment on this giant photography that is a new constitution. Um, this was not, unfortunately, a referendum by chapters. It could have been maybe better to divide these 388 articles, I don't know, in 10 uh, critical uh, and fundamental uh, uh, chapters of this new institutional framework and maybe uh, and separate every single one and maybe the situation would have been different, right? We, we would have that capacity of reading uh, the will of the people in a better way. Maybe seven out of 10 articles, uh, major chapters were going to be accepted, right? And only three of them rejected. And then the situation would have been better. We also understand the, the situation of uh, making the vote mandatory. It, it, has, it had to be done because it's the constitution. It is the constitution. And even though we added new votes, new people that maybe never voted, that was exactly the intention. So nobody can complain that they didn't participate in such a fundamental thing. And that's the cost. Yeah. It's a bad cost, bad cost, but we had to do it. So I think it's good. At the end of the day, it's good that these 6 million people that never did anything, never mobilized or didn't care about anything, they cared. Uh, I agree though, the analysis is very clear. They voted against something that was very good for them. No doubt about that. So you have a disconnection. We have a disconnection of message that is serious. How is that possible? Because of the media owned by the right, because of the social media, because of the, the dirty campaigns, we are very familiar with all that. So uh, we just need to make sure that people understand that, that people still want a new constitution. People still reject the Pinochet constitution majority of the country, that 80% still stands. So that's the positive note. We have the need, we have a strong needs that needs to be covered. Uh, so we believe that the, the, the mobilization is gonna, is gonna start again. It's gonna take time. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we have the hope. We have the hope that the needs are bigger than, than this, this outcome and and uh, that those needs are gonna are gonna push for change uh, i believe in social uh historic movements we have seen it so many times uh the same election of borish was impressive i mean he he created a new party in 2018 very tiny and three four years later she's the president of chile one of the youngest one that was a surprise as well uh, Allende uh, came to power against a huge, a huge uh, group of interest uh, against any social movements for 70 years. No leftist president was even close to be in power. 
agenda did it, and of course that was that that's why he was destroyed, right? It was it was just too much maybe for that time. He was so advanced to uh, his time. Uh, Chavez was in jail, and five years later he was the president of a huge movement that is still is is influencing so many countries. Um, Fidel was in the in those mountains with with uh, he. Uh, only 12 or 13 people survived a first uh, attempt to uh, make Cuba uh, independent. And, and three years later, the revolution uh, had a huge victory and is still there 50, 60 years later. So this, when, when the social movement is strong enough, nothing can stop it. So in this case, I think this is just a pause in a long process because Chile, Chile needs answers and those answers are coming sooner or later. Well, let's leave it at that hopeful note. And, the, and again, you know, this comes up every episode. We touch on, on social movements and the power. Let me laugh at me because I'm a child of the 60s here in San Francisco, power of the people. But those social movements are so critical to, to change the, the power of, of that. And um, so I want to thank both of you for joining us for this episode. Patricio Zamorano from Washington, D.C. with the Council on Hemispheric Affairs and Javier Amanzi joining us live from Chile today. I'm so thankful for your time and, uh, and your brilliant analysis of, of Sunday the 4th and a very educational uh, conversation for myself and for our audience. So I hope that um, you can both join us again as we watch the evolution, what, com what comes next. It's gonna be really important for all of us to, uh, to stay in solidarity with Chile uh, and people like you, Javiera, on the ground in the feminist movement and many others. And we'll, we'll watch you know, what comes next. I'm so, again, I'm so thankful for your time. And I just wanna remind our audience that you've been um, listening to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, Code King's weekly YouTube program of hot news out of the region. We broadcast uh, every week, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to catch Code Pink Radio every uh, Thursday morning, excuse me, Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, broadcasting on WPFW out of Washington, D.C and WBAI out of New York City. And Code Pink Radio can also be found on Apple Podcasts. So everyone, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. And thank you again, uh, Patricia and Javier. A wonderful conversation. Really appreciate your analysis. Bye, have a good night. Bye-bye, good night. <laughs>